Annyeong SAO, welcome to Afternoona Delight, where Leah, Megan, and Amy, three American romance novelists discussing all things K-romance from a writer's lens. We fangirl over our favorite actors and actresses, talk up our trope addictions, and nerd out on K-drama deep dives. We'll throw in a few K-pop and K-skincare wrecks for good measure, because why not ride the haul you wave all the way to shore? So grab some duck bokeh and listen to your new favorite unnees. Hey, everybody. I feel like I should say hello and hi there. (laughs) Yes. We're short one today. Hi, I'm Megan. (laughs) So, yes, if this is your first time tuning in, we are down a member. And if, you know, you're a longtime listener, you're just going to have to be sad that Megan is on vacation right now. She is. But she's checking in, so she says hi. I saw a video on her Instagram where it was like a minivan. I don't know if you saw it, Amy. No, I missed it. And it was how many people could get out of the minivan and i swear it was like a clown car like 15 people came out of this van (laughs) okay i have to go look at that when we're done (laughs) yeah it's pretty funny so anyway we are you know currently at this time of the recording kind of in like the just before the middle of august and i don't know why our district does this but we went back to school today here on august 10th we have one more week so And people think when I tell people when my kids are going back, they think it's early. So I like now is really early. Yeah, I feel like it's way too early. I'm sitting here sweaty and I don't understand why we get out in like, you know, the third week of May because summer hasn't even really started. So you're there in like spring. You've got like a month of spring, essentially. (laughs) Then summer really gets going cooking, pun intended and not intended. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're back. So anyway, I'm assuming I'm assuming no air conditioning in the school, no air conditioning anywhere in Santa Cruz. Um, It is a very moderate climate for 10 months out of the year. And then, you know, we have like a two month or like six weeks, seven week window that, you know, gets into the 80s. And everyone just does what I'm doing right now, which is kind of goes on a diet where you're just losing all the water weight in your body because (laughs) you're just sweating all the time. It's hot. It's really it's hot pun here i go again pun intended and not intended i mean i don't want to get into a whole you know deep dive into santa cruz and its thoughts on air conditioning (laughs) but i mean like i live in chicago where it's like the tundra like a big part of the year and we (laughs) love our air conditioning here for the two months that it's crazy hot yeah i can't tell you why we don't we just don't So I don't know anyone who does. The schools don't have. The offices don't have. It's just not a reality. So here we are. But you have mostly recovered from the dreaded COVID. (laughs) Do I sound sound better? And you do. You sound better. You look better. You know, proof of life. We are happy. (laughs) However, you have kind of, I mean, you've never not watched K-drama. You're in a podcast about K-drama. However, you know. I would say that it's been a while since you've really just kind of like belly flopped into multiple shows and just kind of wallowed Which, in content. you know, I'm not going to say thank you, COVID, but I mean, honestly, it did lay me up for pretty much a week. I mean, I, I worked from home. I'm grateful that I had, you know, have a job where I can work from home and I didn't have to, you know, use my PTO. But um, other than doing my job, I, I mean, I, I did my job from my bed. I laid in bed all week and I took the advice of some people who had recently had COVID before me and I 
was living on my Mucinex D, which was really helpful in keeping, you know, my cough at bay and my congestion at bay. But it also kept me up until three in the morning, many nights. And mm. so I, I not only like caught up on dramas that I was watching, but I, I finished <laughs> watching much stuff. <laughs> so I right before the COVID hit, you, on your way home from Australia, binged Itawan class. I did. I dove in and did a belly flop. And, class. and we're going to be talking about this on the pod soon. Because because now we've next, oh, is it week? next week. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. So we've all three watched it now. And not to throw any shade at Megan while she's not here, because everybody's entitled to their opinion. <laughs> it's OK. Everybody's, we can. But, yeah, we but can Megan, Megan liked the drama, but she didn't love it. And so it was one of those that I was like, well, you know, I usually have similar taste to Megan. If she didn't love it, I'm, you know, put that one on the back burner for now. And then you decided to watch it because... Wooga Squad? <laughs> well, yeah. Basically, I had had the same thing of, like, Megan having kind of, like, felt let... Like the drama, but ultimately felt let down by it. And kind of shared... <laughs> this is going to be a very... <laughs> and we are not talking about either one today, week. but, like, we are, I guess, for a minute. Yeah. No. To talk about all the content. Yeah. So she shared some things that made her unhappy. And they, like... I did not enjoy it hearing about same. it. I was like, oh, I don't think I would like to watch that. Yeah. Then... Uh, in the Soup Friendcation came out, which is the uh, In the Soup is a BTS kind of reality show. And one of the members, V or Kim Tae Hyung, he's also good buddies with a bunch of K drama a- um, actors and Peak Boy, who's a Korean rapper. And so he went with Park Sejun and Choi Woo Shik and Park Young Sik. And they all go and they like live together. It's very real world. And you just kind of watch them. It's amazing. Pajamas eating. Yeah, it's amazing. They just eat and cry and watch dramas <laughs> together. And anyway, I was like, Park Sejun, like I'm feeling you right now. And I was like, you know, I do like the bull cut and one class. Like, I've always thought it was hot, goofy, but hot. And I was like, I'm just going to give it, like, a little go and just kind of see. I just really need to, like, take the edge off this Park Sejun situation that I've been developing. And I was sucked in, like, to where it's in my probably top three dramas and all the things that Megan had said she didn't like, I strongly disagree with, which is yes. why we're going to have a podcast that's going to get a little intense. However, I do respect her opinion and... Well, I'm going to like, I it'll be know. fun. I, it'll I be mean, fun. Because what like, happened, what yeah, happened was, so Leah went bananas over this drama and was like, I think it's like my top three. And I was like, what? So I'm like, I have to be like the tiebreaker here. I have to see what's going on. And mm-hmm. so I started watching it the, basically the weekend that COVID hit. And then I just dove in hard while I was, you know, kind of laid up and I watched it in like three days and I am not sorry. And it was amazing. And we're going to have so much fun talking about it because I'd say it's probably in my top three as well. And I mean, I I kept messaging Leah and I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Oh, my God, I can't believe that she didn't like this part. Oh, my God, this is not how it happened at all. Like, (laughs) (laughs) right. So we'll have a wig at the finger next week that Megan can middle fingers back with. Yeah. However... I haven't been watching a ton. I mean, I've been watching dramas, but I haven't been kind of wallowing in dramas or binging in three days. And that's mostly because I have a side hobby of watching right now, too, which is spending 
an inordinate amount of time consuming yes. BTS content. That is right, BTS, the K-pop group. I am in deep, and I spend a lot of time watching content. And with captive audience Amy, who so yes. far resisted my not like resist- obsession. Okay, we're not going to say resisted. It's just it's a time thing, right? Like. Like, I've got, got kids, I've got a job, do. I write books, you know, like. I do. I know. <laughs> I know, but like on top of, okay, so like I wa- I'm I'm like caught up on Attorney Wu, I'm ca- caught up on Minam Dong, I started watching Hua Rong, I've been watching In the Soup, and I still had time because I was COVID. So I'm like, Leah, yes. like on, Insta- on Instagram, it I'm like, time. send me BTS content. Yeah, because I mean, nobody needs to ask me <laughs> twice. You want to ask me to send you some clips of like your bias? Like, I got you. There's nothing I will like to do more. I'll be like in a meeting, like, oh, well, I guess I'll just have to like send some like Jungkook videos over. So anyway, yes. And Amy's been watching In the Soup as well. So she was enjoying V. So I kind of was trying to like lure her in with some V content because he's very um, goofy and engaging and quirky and incredibly cute and just odd. And so I felt like he was a good, like, you know, if you're going to throw some bait he's out. He's good. Yes. <laughs> and pro tip, if you've got a friend you want to hook in, he's yes. kind of a good member to, like, hook someone. And in. I, like, I'm like, just keep it coming. I'm like, you are slowly indoctrinating me, and I am not sorry. So just out of curiosity for anyone who, we weren't, we're not going to stick with BTS much longer either, because I know not everyone, you know, is into that. But a lot of folks are. Um, what member right now do you feel it kind of has, like, their foot on your throat? You know, it's funny, because... It started with V for me, and I thought it was cute. I thought, I, like, I have to like put out there that I know that I could have birthed this child. Okay, so yeah, you're saying he's cute. You're not yes, lusting. No, no, you're but like, I, I mean, cute. he's yeah. cute. Like you said, he's quirky. Yeah. But then, like in watching in the soup, he is very much like a boy to me, right? Because like he's yeah. like also he gets to be like super goofy, and you get to. I mean, like even though like the older guys aren't that much older than him, like there's a big difference between you put him next twenty six and thirty three, right? He's a whole yes. man, yes. <laughs> and there's a big difference, and so it's been like it's been cute and sweet to watch him like that. Um, you know, like this is something that I that I haven't like talked about with you yet and so i'll just say it on here like me and like all the freaking younger men but like ever like i've always liked charlie puth's music but ever since left and right came out i'm going strong (laughs) on both jungkook and charlie puth like so i follow charlie puth now on tiktok (laughs) like because he's like also he's like a total musical genius goofball and he's just like super fun um, yeah, and Jungkook has perfect yes. pitch, musical freak. So, like, I started yeah. watching stuff that you know they did together, like because he, you know, he teased a lot of you know the video and the song and stuff like that before it came out. And now I'm also following Charlie Puth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I, we were talking today. I'm like, you know what? It's kind of like the the ones who could do no wrong in my eyes are you know like pretty much like V and Jungkook, and Jin, and Suga. <laughs> and, like, not that I don't love, you know, the other three, but those are the ones to me that, like... Are currently they're jumping currently jumping. Yeah, they're cr- like, it's, it's eye candy, it's ear candy. I love them all. I do. But those are the four that are kind of getting me right now. Very reasonable. Yeah. So, um... But, but yeah. I was going right. to say, but you know who always gets me? Is Lee Min Ho. Ro- 
Oh. I'm trying to segue. Oh, I'm trying was, to segue. That's good because I was like, who, Rowoon? Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> no, you're going up to slightly more age-appropriate. I'm tra- I'm tra- yeah, barely. Home. But uh, I'm also trying to segue into what we're talking about today, which is yes. Pachinko. Pachinko. Finally, at last, Amy, we are doing Pachinko. I mean, so this is also what's been cracking me up, like Leah, Leah with all her BTS content, and then like, you know, deep diving Itawan class out of like nowhere, and I'm like, you realize that we are doing Pachinko next week, and you still have half the episodes to watch. <laughs> and you are the one who told me I need to read this book, because Lee Min Ho is going to be did. in this series. And so I read the book. And then I binged the fuck out of the series, and you just kind of dropped off for a little bit. I dropped off a lot for, like, after, like, two or three episodes. So we'll get into that a little bit, too. But I did come back hard with a hard binge. I did four episodes in one night and then finished it uh, last night with one. Um, And I I mean, I enjoyed it, and I have a lot to say about it. Well, let's get to it then. So that was, you know, sort of a, a seamless segue. Not really, but, you know, we try. So we all started this podcast because as writers, we fell in love with how well K-drama could tell a story. And we still feel that way, so much so that we have, on more than one occasion, begged Studio Dragon to take us on, even if it's only to run errands for the drama writers that we love. Like, that's fine. Just let us let us be nearby them. That's all we really want. And let, let like their talent like ooze out onto us. But we'll even go so far as to say that while we have our favorite drama actors and actresses, we have watched a drama or two or three specifically for the writer. Case in point, Kim Eun-suk. So how many Kim Eun-suk dramas have we watched? A lot. So Goblin, we all watched that one. The King Eternal Monarch, we all watched that one. The Heirs, you and I watched that one. (laughs) Descendants of the Sun, you and I watched that one. Yep. Mr. Sunshine, we all did that one. And then little old me did Secret Garden all by herself because she needed some baby Hyunbin. <laughs> Do you regret it or no? I don't regret it. It's I mean it's it's a strange drama. I don't really know what else to say, but it was it was enjoyable nonetheless. And then we all fell in love with Crash Landing on You, and the head writer of that, Park Ji Un, also was um a writer on My Love from the Star, which uh, we've all watched and enjoyed. And then Legend of the Blue Sea, which Amy's watched. So clearly we do have a thing for writers. Many dramas that we love, like All of Us Are Dead, Itawan Class, Business Proposal, and Tomorrow are based on webtoons. But I think this week is the first drama that we are discussing that is based on a National Book Award finalist novel. And it's also not actually a drama. <laughs> so this week we're talking about Pachinko the dramatic miniseries about Korea and the Korean immigrant experience that's based on the New York Times bestselling novel by Korean-American author Min Jin Lee. And it stars Academy Award-winning actress for her work in Minari, Yoon Yo-jung. Is one of Pachinko's most complicated characters played by Lee Min-ho? Yes. Is that how Leah enticed me to read the book by dangling the Lee Min-ho carrot in front of me? The answer, again, would be yes. Okay. So before we get to any spoilers about the book or the miniseries, a quick question on book adaptations. Is your general consensus that the book is always better, or have you found adaptations you've enjoyed even more than the book? I mean, of course, I'm kind of literarily snobby, so I do think that I'm usually a book is always better girl, but there's some exceptions because I like to find exceptions. 
And some of my opinions, some of you nerds out there might find controversial. And I say that being a nerd myself. So I'm going to go on the record and officially say that, you know what? I enjoyed the Hobbit trilogy better than the original Tolkien tale. I'm sorry, J.R.R., but I felt like the story was more fleshed out and dynamic over three films. And also, sorry, literary legend Alice Monroe, but I love the movie Brokeback Mountain more than your admittedly lovely short story. Ooh. I am usually a snob about it, too, a literary snob. Um, and I don't know if I have any right now. I mean, we're going to talk today, obviously, about Pachinko and... I loved the book Pachinko, but there were some major changes made in the miniseries that I actually really liked. And it's not that I didn't like things that, you know, that Min Jin Lee did, but I was pleasantly surprised, I guess I'll say, by some of the the changes that happened in the miniseries that we'll talk about. But yeah, I'm usually, a book is better. And I honestly can't think of one that I would, that, that jumps you know, jumps out at me right now that I'm like, oh my gosh, the movie was so much better. But I definitely, um, I definitely have seen movies that I really, really enjoy and think are a great adaptation of the book. And another thing that we'll talk about in a little bit too, is I think sometimes there's a little bit of a halo effect with actors who might be in the movie as well. So we'll get Mm. to that. We'll get to that in a little bit. So you read Pachinko, but, um, after the miniseries was cast, um, so in general, how do you feel like that affected your reading already knowing actors who'd be portraying certain book characters? Yeah. So I, you know, I already said that she dangled the Lee Ho carrot and, and literally you were like, Lee Ho is going to be in this. So you have to read it. Cause I will say like going back to being a little bit of a book snob, if I know that a movie or a series is coming out based on a book and I have the time to read it, I will say, well, I have to read the book first because that's just, you know, writer me, librarian me, like you have to read the source material. So that was really all I needed to hear um, because any commands that contain, you know, mention of Lee Min Ho, I do it. Um, And it was, you know, I got to say it was both fun and troublesome to have Lee Min Ho in my head while reading because the character that he plays, Ko Hansu, is a very problematic man. So I had to work really hard to not let my love for the actor put like that halo effect that I mentioned on the character. And I think that's the sort of slippery slope of reading a book when you know who's in the movie or series, because that can definitely color your take on the story. Like when I read the Twilight series, because of course I did. The first movie was already out. So I knew that Cedric Diggory, hot Cedric Diggory, was playing Edward. And we already know that I love undead heroes, but I loved Edward Cullen even more because I could picture him as Rob Pattinson while I was reading the books. So how about you? So I'd read it before casting, but honestly, outside of, you know, three characters, which were uh, Lee Min Ho and the always amazing Yoon Yo Jung, and then um, Jimmy Simpson, who I had a problematic crush on during the first season of Westworld, which you did not watch. Um, yeah, no. so he's like in, he's like a pivotal character in Westworld, and I was kind of a mess <laughs> about him. So when he showed up in Pachinko, I was like, oh, damn. Um, but the rest of the cast was unknown to me. And so um, I guess for me, it depends on if I read the book after um, watching a show or film, then I feel like the actor will get in my head because sometimes I do the reverse. But if I'm just like aware of the show or film and then read it, then I don't feel like it bothers me as much. 
or doesn't like I, not that it bothers me but it doesn't get into my head as much yeah well you i mean you were you very much warned me you're like okay so i know i like you're like first of all like i can't you're like i can't believe lee Minho is taking on this character like you'll know what i mean when you read it like you're not gonna love him yeah he is a <laughs> difficult man who is very interesting and the author makes incredibly interesting choices with him and so i felt like it was a brave choice to play him given that he's kind of had this role of being a heartthrob he kind of went into something with a little bit more chops he did okay so we're gonna inch our way towards spoilers by starting with the book so first for anyone who hasn't read or seen pachinko Here's the book blurb to give you the movie trailer version of what the sweeping multi-generational saga is about. There can only be a few winners and a lot of losers, and yet we played on because we had hoped that we might be the lucky ones. In the early 1900s, teenage Sonja, the adored daughter of a crippled fisherman, falls for a wealthy stranger at the seashore near her hometown in Korea. He promises her the world, but when she discovers she is pregnant and that her lover is married, she refuses to be bought. Instead, she accepts an offer of marriage from a gentle, sickly minister passing through on his way to Japan. But her decision to abandon her home and to reject her son's powerful father sets off a dramatic saga that will echo down through the generations. Richly told and profoundly moving, Pachinko is a story of love, sacrifice, ambition, and loyalty. From bustling street markets to the halls of Japan's finest universities to the pachinko parlors of the criminal underworld, Lee's complex and passionate characters, strong, stubborn women, devoted sisters and sons, fathers shaken by moral crisis, survive and thrive against the indifferent arc of history. That's a pretty good blurb. Yeah, I think so, too. Good job, editor. Although, as I'm reading it, I'm like, hmm, uh... If you see the casting for her sickly husband, <laughs> you know, he is like, he looks like he's cousins to yeah, he does. Ooh, That's a good comparison. Yeah. I mean, he's a yeah. big hot. He is a spunk. <laughs> and I mean, he is sick, but like he, he, he gets healthy. Yeah. Like he has like a couple <laughs> bouts where he's like. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So how much of Korea's history, especially its relationship with Japan, were you aware of before reading this book? And did you know anything about pachinko parlors ahead of time? So my preface is that I read this a while, like years ago. And so at that point, yeah, I mean, it's not like I am somehow like an authority on like Korean history at this point, but I know much more than I did going into the book. So for me, when it came to the idea of pachinko, the gambling game itself, I knew nothing. Um, you know, when I started the book, I knew it just had a lot of hype, but I had no idea what the word meant or that this form of gambling existed. I'm not really a gambler anyway. Um, I was aware that there was a fraught history of Japan and Korea. And, you know, I lived in Hawaii for a while and had, as a result, probably a little bit more of a direct experience with that period of Japanese um, imperialism and their participation, especially in World War II. And I'm not even talking about like, uh, Pearl Harbor. But like one interesting thing is I lived on the island of Kauai and off of Kauai was an island called Niihau. And you can't go there. It's like a forbidden island to go to. It's privately owned. There's a Hawaiian community that um, that lives out there. And apparently on the way back from the bombing of Pearl Harbor, one of the um, Japanese uh, fighter pilots 
something happened with his plane and he crashed on Niihau. And he basically found one Japanese immigrant who was working there running a general store and convinced that person that basically the emperor was coming and it was time to like get on side and they were going to like take over the island in the name of the emperor and like wait for a reinforcement. So they did. And this island was like cut off from like Kauai. And so for like days, they like kind of like took over this island. And I guess um, eventually they were um, subdued. Uh, the The story that's been told is that um, like a, a granny took a shovel to the back of his head. I don't really know like the truth to Whoa. it. But I guess there was um, a plane that was crashed on the island for some time. It's like, you know, returned to history at this point. But it had like the, you know the rising sun circle on the wing and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of felt like that part of history was around a bit. Yeah. Um, but, like, look, my culture isn't Korean or Japanese. Um, I don't have any family or friends with lived experiences in these cultures. And so fiction and dramatizations can be useful, even though they're clearly less, like, real and dimensional, as a way to connect, I think, to human stories. And what I think Pachinko does particularly well is it reveals the extraordinary elements required by just common people to endure and survive and to ultimately thrive or not. Yeah, I mean, I was sadly pretty ignorant of Korea and Japan's past when I first started watching K-dramas. I think I got a, like a whiff of it in The King Eternal Monarch when you know, the kingdom of Korea with a C has a naval standoff with Japan in present day, um, which obviously, you know, brought up um, questions about the history. So it made me curious about, you know, I, I, I really didn't know much about the, the Korean War or, or anything like that. Um, again, because I don't, like you said, I don't know anybody with those lived experiences. But then I read Pachinko. And right after it, I watched Mr. Sunshine. And like you said, these are both fictional, you know, tellings of historical events, but um, it gave me a much better understanding, you know, even if it is in some aspects, you know, sensationalized and, you know, obviously, you know, we get some, especially Mr. Sunshine, we get, you know, we get romance, we get comedy, like, you know, it's not just strictly about the history, but still, like you said, it gives us an opportunity, people who are, you know, removed from, you know, some of those historical events to gain a better understanding, even if it is, I'll admit, still like a pretty cursory understanding. But Pachinko, much, you know, much more of a dramatization than uh, Mr. Sunshine is in so far as like, there's, there's no comedy in Pachinko. Like Pachinko, that's why you know we kept saying when we were talking about watching Pachinko that Pachinko is not a K drama. Like it is not full of tropes. It is just a story of the Korean immigrant experience in Japan. Yeah, and it's made by a Korean American filmmaker, a Korean American author at the helm. But really, it doesn't. I mean, it touches on America and kind of more almost as like what America means sometimes to um, to some folks who are looking to try to like change their circumstances and that's not unique also to like the korean immigrant experience coming to the u.s like you know that's where we do all have relatives that have tried to come here for various reasons so it does touch a little bit on the u.s but really it's about the korean immigrant experience in japan yeah so our historical novels and or dramas usually your cup of tea leo 
Yes. <laughs> so historical fiction and nonfiction is truly my bread and butter. Like out of the romance genre, I'm going to want to read a historical romance at first choice. I'd say that Laura Kinsell and Joanna Bourne are um, probably my favorite authors in the genre. For those of you who like historicals or are curious, I'm always happy to make recommendations. And then in the past few months, um, you know, I've read a nonfiction on the rise and fall of Constantinople, another about the political and spiritual movements at the time of Jesus. Um, And then, (laughs) you know, before K-dramas got me by the throat, I truly never met a costume drama that I didn't like. Um, I think I've read and watched almost everything that's out on the Tudor period. And I also have had like a colonial period. And then at the start of COVID, I got obsessed with this like World War II era Swedish drama series called The Restaurant. And I think Pachinko got me because I had like just started watching dramas and realized that I hadn't really read anything similar in terms of a sweeping saga centering Korean people. And even more to the point, this Korean immigrant experience that happened, um, you know, in the first decades of uh, the 20th century in Japan. So I had known that this book was quite famous and beloved um, and jumped in not knowing that it was going to grab me by the throat and become a top favorite book. So if you've been listening to the pod long enough, you know all that about Leah, that she is our resident historical fangirl. And it's not normally my go-to, but it doesn't mean that I don't like it. I just need someone to nudge me outside of my comfort zone every now and then so that I try something new. And you know, Leah urged me to read Pachinko, and I'm happy that I listened. She urged us for a year to watch Mr. Sunshine, and I'm sorry <laughs> that I put it off as long as I did. I think I was worried that because I didn't love Mr. Queen like I wanted to, that historicals, you know, weren't my jam. But Pachinko and Mr. Sunshine proved me wrong. And now I'm watching Wrong of my own volition. Granted, it's my Wooga Squad love that brought me there, <laughs> but I am still pretty proud for starting a historical on my own. And then but maybe now that I'm in King's Affection. I well, that's what I just said. You took my oh, last sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, I said now that I'm in love with Park and Bin in in uh, Extraordinary Attorney Woo and Raroon after watching tomorrow that I think I'm gonna have to go to the King's Affection next. So there. But I also, you know, when we talked about when you talked about the King's Affection, was that for was that for um Second male lead SOS? Yes. Yes, and then I did a podcast with our friend Sarah from K-Drama This. Yes, but I mean, when you talked about it for the SOS and, you know, gave us the gist of the drama, it was like, oh, this sounds really good. Okay, so, you know, did you enjoy the book? And, you know, did you find the Apple miniseries to be a worthy adaption? I did like the book a lot. It was definitely a bittersweet ending that left my heart heavy. So I was, you know, nervous for the miniseries because like I said, it's not a K-drama. There's not light moments to, you know, to balance the heaviness. It is more of a realistic experience, right? But I think the miniseries was extremely well done. I binged it hard. I cried a lot. And I'm very much looking forward to the confirmed season two. Thank goodness. Oh, it is confirmed. Yes. Oh, phew. I know. So, you know, I like the book better, <laughs> but I do think that the show is very well cast and I do think it's an interesting adaptation. I think for me, something that I wonder when I like, I'm talking about this, like, and if you're listening, 
I think that I'm not sure that if you haven't read the book, you'd understand or appreciate yeah. some of the connections. Like there's a part where um, one of the characters, Solomon, meets this down and out person in Tokyo. And because I've read the book, I know that he is a former policeman who used to be a friend of his father's and that the book had this large subplot. It really like kind of went off on a tangent with this character <laughs> about um, queer life at a time when there was like no con- like in the time. But there's no context for any of that in the show. You just see this guy who's kind of down and out. He's like, you know, your father was always kind to me. And I was like, well, <laughs> like, it was really, it was really, of, that was really weirdly shoehorned in. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't need to have it. I was like, just leave him out if you're not going to like do anything with him because otherwise it's like, what was the point? And then there's another character, Hana. And I don't think her story was nearly as deep in the no. drama. Um, it's mostly her suffering. She has AIDS in the eighties. She has a very bad relationship with her mom, but there's no context on like how we got there. So um, I was gonna say, yeah. I, I brought this up, I think a little later in the script, but we can, we can bring it up now too. Like it's, it was an interesting choice that, um, that Sue Hugh, the showrunner for Pachinko decided to tell the story out of order. It's not chronological. It jumps around. Whereas the book is chronological. So I think that was a really interesting choice to do, especially knowing that she wanted it to be four seasons, but hadn't gotten, you know, the green light for season two yet. Mm-hmm. So like, I wonder, will there be more Hana? Yeah. So you the know? whole thing could end up flushing itself out in a way that feels like this triumph. But I feel like when I got to the end of this season, um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. But yeah, there were like some of these stories and some of these characters that I think are just important and interesting who I felt like kind of, and the, and who were acted, like they acted their socks off. Yeah. But um, yeah, there was that. But I do think that the character of Kohan Su, played by Lee Min Ho, oh. um, you know, I do feel like he was more fleshed out than the book. Yeah. And I do think that um, Sanja, who's kind of like the lead and like the center of the whole story, I felt like she was very respected as a character. And that I think was important to me because I feel like if they had done her dirty or kind of been weird with her arc, I don't know if I would have connected. Whereas I felt like from the casting to the stories that she got to tell in this first season. Yeah, I just felt like they, they really did give her the respect she deserved as a character. Absolutely. And now it's time for one of our favorite segments, our K-pop wreck of the week. And Leah, what do you have for us tonight? You know, we started this podcast talking a little bit about how, you know, I always like a BTS and I've been trying to bring Amy in, not just to, for the music, which she's enjoyed, but like really becoming like part of the army. Cult. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with this week, uh, Bad Decisions, which is a song that dropped last week, which is a collab between the vocal line of BTS and then Snoop Dogg. And it features the producer, Benny Blanco. And look, I think it's a fun, sexy song. It is I don't fun. know. It feels like a great summer song that's all about like no makeup on i love that shit (laughs) you know you're so beautiful you make me sick like i love it and i just want to like kind of like sit in my car and be like and you know the snoop stuff does feel like it's not his finest work (laughs) but whatever it's fun and it feels like it's good for the dog days of summer i just love it and leah shared it with me on social media and i was telling her that i just love 
that everybody wants to collaborate with BTS. Yeah. Like, it just makes me so happy. Like, this summer, we have, you know, we have Charlie Puth and we have Snoop with BTS. It's so fun. Yeah. It is fun. And the video is kind of odd because the um, members aren't in it. So that really threw me. But it is this fun thing with, like, Benny Blanco trying to get to a BTS concert. <laughs> and there's some fun spoofs of him, like, you know, having the outfit that Jimin wore in Dynamite. And it's it's a cute video. But the song, I like the song much better than the video. It is fun. It's definitely fun. If you enjoy our podcast, you have our patrons to thank, at least in part. Afternoon of Delight Patreon allows us to keep creating content for y'all to enjoy. Thank you so much to everyone who is supporting us there. And not to brag, but our Patreon community is pretty awesome. And you can join at a tier that feels good to you. Gain access to fun perks like K-drama posts, monthly Patreon-only bonus podcasts, and even a live K-drama support group on Zoom, because we know firsthand what it's like to have no one to talk to about those crazy plot twists, amazing characters, and all those feelings. And look, no one should have to walk that walk alone. So learn more by visiting afternoonadelight.com. That's www.afternoonadelight.com. And hey, while you're on the website, you can check out Afternoona Delight podcast merch, find links to book recommendations, Bop along to our K-pop Rex, glow up your skin with K-merch Rex, find all of our social media and a link to our email so you can send us recommendations or feedback. And hey, while you're at it, why don't you pop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review? It really helps with our discoverability. Gamsamnida. Okay, so we have come through the non-spoiler section, and now we are off the map. Here be spoilers. <laughs> you have been warned. Um, you have been warned. So take it away, Amy. Because <laughs> this is really what I came here to talk about. Okay, for all of you who've read and watched, let's just address the elephant in the room while, yes, Pachinko has been confirmed as returning for season two, where creator Suhyu has said that she will focus more on the relationship between Sanja's two sons, Noah and Mozazu, what do you think of her decision to leave Noah almost 100% out of the story in this first season? For anybody who hasn't read or watched and is still listening, our heroine, young Sanja, played by Kim Min-ha, gets pregnant as a teen with Ko Hansu's baby. Kohansu, played exquisitely by Lee Min-ho, is a Korean man who married his Yakuza mentor's daughter and is now a Yakuza himself. This plot point is the catalyst. I mean, you heard Leah, you know, Leah read you the blurb for the book. Like, this pregnancy, this baby, is the catalyst for basically everything else that happens in the story. Yet the baby, Noah, and Sanja's life as his mother are all but omitted from the first installment thoughts look i think this is what made me kind of pop out of it for the after like three episodes was i was just baffled by the fact that we were only seeing mozazu and i an adult and i think i was just frankly terrified that he that noah's character was somehow cut out that's what i thought too um and really and this is hard because we're in the spoiler section but we haven't gotten there with the drama and so I'm not going to spoil anything that like hasn't already come out in the show. Right. Um, but his story and his relationship with his mother and father are truly like at the heart of the book. Yes. Like I kept 
texting Leah and I was like, there's still no Noah. There's still like, did they combine Noah and Mozazu? Like that's yeah, what I thought was going to happen. People wondering if that was going to be the case. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to hear that it's not, but at the time that the drama aired, you guys, Leah's so hot right now. <laughs> I just poured some water down my dress. <laughs> at the time the drama aired, there was no confirmation that it had been picked up for a season two. So that's why I think, and, and we'll get to it more later because I keep bringing up the the nonlinear telling of this story. I think that's a pretty bold choice when you don't know if you're going to get to tell the rest of it. So, yeah, I was really, really worried about Noah not being here. And I was very confused because I did think that he was going to be cut out of the story, that somehow she was going to make all the experience Mozazus. And I didn't know how that would work. And... I'm happy that this is going to be the focus of season two, but it is a very strange way to tell a story, I guess, um, without using this like huge moment that sets everything in motion. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm here for season two because I do want to see how it's all going to play out, but it was... I don't, yeah, I, you know, I feel like I need to, I need all four seasons to happen and I need to see the whole thing in its entirety to know if I like the way that it was done. You know what I mean? Agreed. It's kind of funny that they just didn't let it be like a 23 episode drama or something. (laughs) Right. That's how you know it was made in the West so that we ended up having to do these like a short abridged eight, eight episode seasons. Right. So, Pachinko the novel is chronologically told, and it follows the story from Sonja's mother's marriage to Sonja's father all the way to Sonja as a woman with adult grandchildren. The miniseries, however, is not. In an interview with Time, the series creator, Su Hyu, is quoted as saying this about her decision to tell the story out of order. The greatest thing about film and TV is playing with Time, she said. All of a sudden, when we move things around, the show becomes a thesis statement of how do you have a conversation with the past? How do you, from the past's point of view, leave something indelible for the future? So do you agree with this assessment? And do you like the series playing out of order, yet according to Hugh and what she considers quite a poignant and meaningful order? I will say that one thing that I did like about this, because I am a very linear thinker, so that's I think that's a big like difference between us, you know, as far as, you know, the, the storytelling. I I am all about chronology. Telling things out of order is very weird to me and it's hard for my brain to grasp that. I liked how I liked how the series would parallel like two different scenes and have like the same thing theme going on in those scenes. But from a standpoint of how I like to be told a story I am much better with chronological. So that's why I said I need to see all four seasons like in one sitting to be able to know. And it's also hard. I think, you know, you had mentioned earlier, like if you hadn't read the book, I think you would be very confused watching this series. Because like you said, some stuff was just like shoehorned in that you knew what it was because you read the book, but it it didn't play out in the context of the story. So I don't know. 
Yeah, so I don't have a very linear brain. Um, I didn't mind the time jumping. And honestly, I think it worked better than it would have if it had tried to have been completely chronological because I'm not sure if it would be as interesting to watch like a really long time with like Sonja's parents and then a really long time with like her getting like seduced. And then, you know, I kind of did like that it was jumping around. I thought that worked well. But I um, I do think that some of the characters or plot points um, did not really get an explanation, um, at least in this first series. So I think that it wouldn't shock me if some people felt lost on a few of the plot threads. Although I do think the main ones felt clear. Some of these like offshoot like moments that would happen. I do think that you could have been like, I don't really know why we just had that, but okay. <laughs> but like mostly you'd be like, but whatever, because we're back to the main story now. Right. And I thought it was interesting that they really highlighted um, Solomon's journey to try to get the, um, you know, the homonie to sell her property. Uh, you know, there was an older Japanese or older Korean woman who was sitting on a property that, you know, back back in the day had been worth nothing and now is worth everything. And it's holding up all this development. And so um, really that became like the really centered story. Yeah. And I actually, I, we talk about that in a little bit. I actually liked a change that they made there, um, which we'll get to. Okay. But uh, let's fangirl for a moment or 10 on Yunya Jung as adult mother slash grandmother Sanja and Kim Minha as young Sanja. Two, I think, powerful performances from two women at very different points in their acting careers. What is one thing that stood out to you from either or both performances? Well, I think they were both freaking amazing. So yeah. Kim Miha was new to me and a delight. Like, honestly, when I was watching her, I'm like, ah, yes, you are like Sonja. Right? Um, yeah. And I love the way that she, as a character, was able to hold her ground with Lee Min Ho playing Honsu. Yes. Um, especially, like, the moment when she realized, like, she's pregnant and he's not going to marry her. Um, and he didn't make her decision to walk away from him easy. And he's wealthy, he's powerful and like not horrible looking and charming. <laughs> and he's basically offering her a life of relative luxury and ease. Like he didn't knock her up and then be like smells. He knocked her up and then was like, well, fantastic. Cause I like, I really like you and I would love to have like a whole cricket team of babies with you. I just can't marry you. Um, I just can't marry you because I've got, like, you know, my wife back in Japan. But, like, look, I can make your life, like, freaking sweet. And, you know, Kim Minha played Sanja with this conviction that showed, like, this core of inner strength that uh, belied her years. And I felt like, you know, flashing forward to, like, the more aged representation of the character, Yong Yo Jung's representation of Sanja, um, I really connected with a scene that wasn't in the book. And that was they have Sonja come back to South Korea for the first time in 50 years. And there's a moment when she steps into the waves in Busan. And it's just so emotional. And it's just such a sense of homecoming and like all the just a release of all the emotions she's had for 50 years of this immigrant experience she's had living in Japan. And she's home. And I watched that moment crying right along with her younger son, Mozazu, who was watching her from shore. So good. Oh my gosh. They she's, were, they were, she's amazing. She is <laughs> like, I keep saying it, but like, we have to watch Minari. Like, we do. We we're we going have to, to. Cause she, I mean like, yeah, she is so astoundingly good. 
Yes. Yeah, they were both amazing. I like I I can't stress enough how wonderful these two women were to watch. And a couple of things that stood out to me first as young Sanja, Kim Minha's performance when she has to say goodbye to her mom before getting on the boat with mm. Beck Isak, that broke me. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine having to say goodbye to my daughter when she's a teen to mm-hmm. possibly never see her again, since that is the only way that she can live a good life. Sanja was pregnant, yes, but she was also still very much a naive child who needed her mother, yet couldn't stay with her as a quote-unquote ruined woman. I sobbed hard in that scene. So hard. And Sanja's mom, I'm so glad they had the scene from the book where um, they put it in the show where it was Sanja's mom. Um, You know, she's not wealthy by any stretch. Like, she's definitely, like, working class. But, you know, she has a boarding house. She has an income. It's just not much. And she takes some of her hard-earned earnings, and she goes to the market, and she wants to get a cup of rice, white rice, to give her daughter. And this is something I don't, you know, I don't know much about. But um, the the rice is being <laughs> sorry. There's a plane <laughs> flying overhead. Oh wait, that was random. Um, so she wants this white rice to give to her daughter. And the, the man who sells all the grain is like, that's for the Japanese. Like, they're going to, like, be pissed at me if they come and I don't have enough white rice for them. I can give you some, like, barley. I can give you some millet. And she's just, like, basically, like, please. Like, this is, like, she's going away. I this just want to give thing. her right. this white rice. And Sandra's reaction when she's, like, eating the rice. Because she knows how dear it is and how... Yep like special it is it was yeah i mean the relationship with her and her mother was really well done really strong and it makes me think how i just have like so much rice in my house like i do too i know 15 pounds of rice just no problem sitting in my pantry i was like oh my god like the privilege i have right perspective yeah one of Yoon Jung's scenes that stuck with me was when she went with solomon to convince the korean woman to sell her home to his Japanese firm. And really what that scene became was the two women bonding over their experience as Korean immigrants living in Japan. And I, I love that we got to see that kind of from, from Solomon's point of view. Um, And hopefully, you know, it hit the viewer the same way as to why it was important for her not to sell. And this was a change from the book that I actually liked that, that I'll touch on when I talk about uh, Jin Ha's performance. Um, but this is, that was just a really powerful scene to me, like the women being able to connect mm. and for, for Solomon to see that connection and to see just that little snippet of history that he can't like fathom right now. You know, like he's too young to understand, mm-hmm. but it gave him some more understanding and it ended up being a big turning point for him that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, how about one of the female actors or characters other than our two Sanjas who made an impact on you? Ooh, hang on, let me scroll up. I think I went too far down. So I really liked how the show uh, portrayed Kyung Hee. Um, I feel like in the book, she was a really tricky role because she could seem just so subservient and weak um, to her husband, Yoseb. Um, however, 
you know, look, it's like some context. She, her husband, Yosef, as well as Sonja's husband, Bakizak, they're Yangban or um, upper class and they come from Pyongyang. And, um, and so they've, their star is, has fallen basically. <laughs> um, and Yosef cannot stomach the fact that his wife might need to work or get her hands dirty. And she wants to obey him because of patriarchy. <laughs> But as um, the seasons go on, I really now am feeling pretty confident that we're going to see how she has this like real strength and that her heart has this deep, boundless potential for love. So I'm pleased with how they set her up. I mean, I think we saw her briefly die. (laughs) And I do think like I want to say one thing that's odd about it um, is she dies and then Sonja takes her ashes home to South Korea as like the impetus to go back after 50 years. And she takes and scatters her ashes, you know, off the shore of Busan. And then I was like, well, I guess it makes sense because she's not going to go to Pyongyang and <laughs> shed her ashes. So, I mean, she's going to give it like she's going to take her back to her home and give her right. a close list. But at first I was like, this seems odd. And I'm like, well, there's no other way. That she can't. Right. She can't it. go to the other place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I did. I loved seeing. Um, what do you call it? Uh, Jung Unche. In that role, she was our prime minister in the King Eternal Monarch. Um, and this was just such a this is the oh only my the god, second... I didn't even realize till you just did now. it. Oh no. my gosh! So, this is this is only the second thing I've seen her in, and I'm I'm watching and I'm like, it just it just like shows you know how how good how good these actors are that she was this you know conniving mm, baddie baddie in the king eternal monarch and she was this wonderful woman with this inner strength (laughs) yeah like yeah i just it was it was a really good portrayal i like she's like um is it mary who's the older elizabeth uh bennett child in pride and prejudice um yes i think it's i think it's mary it's elizabeth and uh uh jane jane is jane is the one who Mary's Mr. Bingley, right? Jane. Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Jane. So yes, Jane. I feel like she's got like the soul of Jane from. Yeah, Mary. Mary's Virginia's. the weird one. Yeah, you're right. Mary's <laughs> the one that plays the piano and sings, and no one wants to yes. hear. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jane. Yeah, yeah. She that was that's a good comparison, Jane Bennett. I like that. Um, so yeah, you, you brought up Hannah um a little bit, and I was I was very conflicted over Hannah in the book. Because, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna spoil too much. I mean, you get a gist of it in the little bit that we get to see of her. But in the book, you know, she loved Solomon, but also manipulated him, and for reasons like she, you know, she had much emotional baggage. Um, and yes, she did the same here, but I think because the story is told out of order, and we see her mostly when she's dying and finally letting others see the unbridled sour, sorrow that she's kept hidden all these years. It made her. It made it made me better empathize with her, um, and, and didn't make me focus so much on how she treated Solomon when they were kids. And she mm. was portrayed so well by um, Mari Yamamoto. And it was also just a little side note: fun to see um, Kim Young Uk in a cameo as older Bucky. You had <laughs> you had said like, "What is she from? Is she from something like paranormal?" Yeah. She's in everything. She's yeah, the one right. who's in everything. So, like... No, no, no. It, the one who I was wondering about um, 
was the gr- this is a we can take this out of the oh the gr- oh the granny the granny with the um apartment she's oh. in something paranormal okay i need to go back and look at who she was okay so take out what i said about that so yeah so kim young uk is a cameo it was fun to see kim young uk as a oh my god i can't say it it was also fun to see Kim Young-ook in a cameo as older Bucky. It just proves my theory that she might be in every drama at least once. Like the dramas I've seen her in at least are Coffee Prince, Boys Over Flowers, Reply 1988, Her Private Life, The King Eternal Monarch, Hometown Cha-Cha-Cha, and even Tomorrow. Those, along with Pachinko, are just the dramas I've seen her in, but I think she's probably in three times as many. So I just, I love when characters like that, that like I see everywhere, just kind of pop up and have a little cameo. That was fun. Um, We're going to talk about Kohansu in a minute, because yes, he gets his own question. So putting him on the back burner, which one of the male characters stood out to you in the miniseries and why? You know, in the book, I loved Mozazu and I loved Mozazu in the show. I love how, let me look up the actor's name actually really quick. Okay. And can we just, can I just say, he's one year, one year older than me. (laughs) Oh my God. So Soji Arai plays Mozazu and he plays him as this, like, it's not really my type. Like I don't go for a mustache normally, but he's just kind of got this like elegance and kindness. It's like the sweet, quiet daddy vibe. Yeah, and I just thought that in the book, he was always just, I was just so happy Sonja had a son like him. Yes. Because while Noah was a delightful son in many ways, <laughs> he was very challenging. And Mozazu was not. Mozazu was simple, and he takes care of his mama. And like, I don't know, like, well, I guess. Mozazu like- did get in a lot of fights. He when did. he was a kid. I mean, we didn't see that here, but like in the book, he he was yeah, getting he, in trouble. He was more of the earthy one. Noah yeah. was more like cerebral and Mozazu was more yes. like up the streets. But he does awesome. So I really liked, we, we brought him up briefly. We didn't say his name yet. Noah Sanghyun is Beck Isak. And I hope he gets more screen time in season two because I feel like his character development was kind of rushed as much as i loved his portrayal he didn't get enough time i don't think for us to to get to know the beck isak that was in the book so i hope we get more true although i did like that they showed them yes yeah say say the scene getting down when she's like oh oh i thought oh i thought you were gonna say the 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 tailor's shop oh that was good too but no i mean just gross saying that they i didn't think they were gonna go for the scene when they like talked about how they called him and yes, she was really they did and they they went there they did and i'll preface my next point with saying that i i know that jinha who plays solomon had some very problematic tumblr stuff pop onto the scene when the series released and i do not by any means condone his behavior by talking about his performance but i want to go back to that scene that they changed in the series from the book mm. that i really liked because it, it does involve him so in the book, Solomon does convince the Korean woman to sell her home. But when she mysteriously dies right after the sale, Solomon is fired because this is in the book. So mm-hmm. I'm spoiling a book thing for you. This, this will never happen in the miniseries. So, it, you know, but it, it is in the book. 
So he's fired because the company claims that his Yakuza connections might have led to her death. In reality, mm-hmm. I think the Japanese company was happy to use him as a scapegoat, you know, furthering the effects of the, you know, Japan-Korea conflict even two generations after Sanja's immigration. In the Apple TV Plus series, instead, what they do differently, instead of the Korean woman caving and selling only to mysteriously die, when Solomon sees the woman and his grandmother, Sanja, bonding over their shared experience, he kind of has this epiphany that we don't really see him get until they're actually in the boardroom, in the conference room, and she's about to sign the papers to hand over her property, and he doesn't let her. He's like, no, you're not selling. We're not selling. We're not. I'm not letting you do it. And then, you know, he he basically fucks the deal and then runs out of the boardroom and into the night where he dances in the rain. Which this was really a, fun. This is a really big change from the book, but I found it really powerful because it gave Solomon more agency as far as um, how he might, you know, end up leaving his company and how he might, you know, make his decisions for what to do with his future um, after that. And I, I liked that it gave him a better grasp of the past that kind of shaped who he is today. Although I want to ask you a question. Sure. Then do they set him up to like be ready to like go after Granny? <laughs> because like that got weird. What do you mean? When he's dealing with his friend who... Oh. The one who wants to get him into Pachinko? Yeah, and then he's like, you've got some contacts that, like, know a thing about a thing, basically. I don't know. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. You can't go back and, like, hurt Granny. I hope not. Yeah, no, I It was a weird, do you know what I'm talking about, though? It was a weird moment. I just watched it, so it was, like, Yeah, and I watched it, what was that, back in, was that April? When it came out? Yeah, so I'm not remembering it as clearly. But if that did happen, then, yeah, that's weird. And I hope that, that yeah, I hope that that doesn't happen because that will definitely tarnish my view of it as I see yes. it right now. Okay. Kohansu. Leah warned me before I read, because I already knew that Lee Min-ho was going to be taking on the role, that this character was amazing but very complicated that I couldn't go into this thinking I was going to fall for Kohansu like I've fallen for almost every other Lee Min-ho character I've watched. Because Kohansu is not a villain, necessarily, but he's not a good man. But then, the Apple TV Plus miniseries gave us episode 7. The Hansu episode that takes place along the backdrop of the Kanto earthquake in Japan that happened on September 1st, 1923, and the subsequent Kanto massacre that that came afterwards. While over 100,000 people lost their lives due to the devastating 7.9 magnitude earthquake, at least 6,000 were Korean deaths that were due to the ensuing, ensuing post-earthquake massacre. This backstory does not exist in the book. It not only gives the viewer an origin story for Hansu becoming the Hansu who Sanja meets, but it also brings in even more traumatic history. So what did you think, Leah? Because like for months I've been like, you have to watch episode seven. Oh my God, you have to watch episode seven. What did you think of episode seven? Look, I liked episode seven because this is where this was something that wasn't in the book. And I think we could have stood to have had some more Kohansu. 
I'm not sure if the author wanted to humanize Kohansu enough. I think that she, I honestly feel like she must have gotten worried that the reader was going to like romanticize Kohansu because in the book they, she really has him go to some very unpleasant places that really just kind of like kills any shipping you might have of him. (laughs) Um, but then this this story does show him as more of like, you know, how how did because he you know enough about his backstory because he reveals it to Sonja in the book. He touches on it loosely in the drama of like, you know, he was poor. He would eat mushrooms out of the forest with his dad. Um, they made a bigger deal about it in the book than they do in this. But, you know, he wasn't wealthy. And so in the show, you get to see more about like, you know, how he made it in the world, how his big brain helped take him to places and how, you know, he was kind of a child of fortune given the idea that he made lemonade out of a gigantic lemon, which was <laughs> the earthquake and massacre. Um, and that I think it's something that makes him, it, I th- what I think helps is that it really shows why he has such a strong connection to Sonja and in the book, they I felt like they do an okay job, but I felt like this really, like, grounded for me why he would. And it's because he's a survivor at heart, and so is she. And what, I mean, what I liked about this, aside from, you know, the sort, the slight humanization of, of Kohansu, what I really liked is that it also gave us, you know, this clear sort of parallel and divergence of how you can have these two people that come up against the same sort of odds, Hansu and Sanja, and the different paths that they take to overcome, to endure and overcome. And he made a decision that, you know, he was going to do whatever it took to what he thought was rise above the people who were persecuting him. Whereas she decided that she was going to endure and make the future better for her children. And, you know, and it shows, I mean, like, you get the moral gray area, you know, as far as, like, the decisions that that Hansu made. I mean, he, it, you know, it's super tragic. He loses his father, you know. He almost loses his father to, you know, to murder from his Yakuza boss and then ends up losing him to the earthquake anyway. And then you see all the stuff that he goes through trying to get out of the city, um, you know, as the aftershocks are happening and stuff like that. And you see the all, you know, you see how all the the, the Japanese sort of like uh, vigilante groups start turning on the Koreans and basically like using all of the craziness that's happening in the aftermath of the earthquake as a means to like hunt them down and kill them. Yeah. It sounded like there was like panicked rumors that just yes. played into the bias and racism of like, you know, Koreans are using this tragedy to poison the wells or to do whatever. And yeah. And, and something- you see, and you see Hansu's reaction to that too. Like there's this scene where he is hiding in a covered wagon and listening to, you know, this, this mob of Japanese men who are looking for these Koreans that, you know, that are hiding in this barn and he has to listen to them, find them. And don't, do, they set the barn on fire, don't they? Yeah, and the they, men are alive, being burned alive. They lock them in there and set them. And and you have to see, you watch Lee Min Ho as Hansu having to silently react to this. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a formative moment, like, where you know yeah. he's, like, never again. Right. So, yeah, I, I really, I mean, I, 
it's not just because it's Lee Min Ho and he got to showcase like his incredible acting in this episode, but like it was really powerful. And I, I liked having this origin story for him. And the other thing that I thought it did really well that was not in the book is it showed the origin story of the watch because yes. he gives Sanja a watch and is basically like, don't be too proud. Take this watch. And she has it and she uses it at some point when she gets to Japan when they need money, um, you know, she sells the watch so that she can get clear some debt for her brother-in-law that he he went into debt with a money lender to get a passage to bring her to Japan. And the watch is what makes, you know, like, then it goes, it finds its way back to Hansu. And it's just like this interesting thing because in the flashback you see that he takes the watch off of his he was a tutor and he plucks it off the body of the dead um american woman that had been his tutor that was going to be his ticket to america and i just thought it was a cool origin story for a very important um item that's featured in the book and just another quick question leah why does it keep surprising you how good lee minho is (laughs) so for context (laughs) i have it's like I am in a curse with Lee Min Ho, where every time I watch him in something, I'm like, I love Lee Min Ho. I've talked about this. On, I've talked about this exactly. On <laughs> yes, podcast. you have. And I'm like, I love him. He's so good. He is just so much, always just better than I think he's going to be. I feel like he's very nuanced. I don't know if it's that he's just such a mega celebrity. I'm always like, Lee Min Ho, I don't know. But every time I'm like, God, look at you. Look at you go. You're so good. And then I finish the drama and I go back to being like, Meh, ah, whatever about Lee Min Ho. <laughs> it happens every single time. Every as time. I was, as I was dying for you to see this episode, I'm like, you have to let me know that it's not just me and my halo effect, you know, love of him. No, I have some sort of like... <laughs> A witch cursed me to be like, you will love Lee Min Ho, and then you will forget that love. And you, you will be cursed to repeat that. That'd be a good story, actually. That actually would be. You would fall, oh my god. <laughs> you would, like, fall <laughs> in love and then, like, forget it over and over? Yeah. Do it. Okay. And, I mean, this goes without saying, but can anybody pull off the white suit and hat? No. Like I mean, it's like his white military uniform in King the Eternal Monarch. Oh my gosh. He wears white well. He does. Okay. So, according to a headline on Mashable, Apple TV Plus's Pachinko has an opening title sequence that you'll want to watch <laughs> more than once. True or false for you? 100% true. I was, like, going bonkers over this opening. Um, oh, shoot. I meant to have the song. So, I have it. So, oh, okay. it's... Um, it's Let's Live for Today by the Grassroots, and it came out in 1967. So and I feel like it has that, like, frenetic folk rock. Yeah. It's like the na-na-na-na-na-na, live for today. Live for today. And yeah. it's just, it's and it's all the actors in, a, in like, parlor. this beautifully lit, you know, colorful pachinko parlor just dancing down the aisles. And I don't know, it just, I mean... I skip every opening to every drama after I've seen it the first time. I skip every opening to every, you know, Western TV show after seeing it the first time. I would watch the opening to Pachinko over and over again. See, I would watch the opening to Westworld. I would watch the opening to Game of Thrones. And I watched the opening to this. So I, (laughs) total non sequitur, but not really. Game of Thrones. So my daughter is, um, my daughter is in her high school's acapella 
group, and they did their first performance last week that I only got to see a video of because I was coveting. And they do an acapella rendition of the Game of Thrones opening. Ooh, can you send it to me? I'd love yeah. to see it. It was awesome. And I, I was like, did you, I'm like, did he, did your teacher, Mr. J, I'm like, did he at least play it for you so you, so you knew what this opening was? Cause she's never seen Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah. She's like, and at first I thought it was so hard. She's like, but then once we started getting it, she's like, I loved it. Mm, so that's yeah. So fun. Game of Thrones was a good opening though. I, w- yeah. I will say that. But yeah, this, I, I couldn't get enough of it, especially after reading how Lee Min Ho did not want to do it. Like he was. Oh, really? He was like, I don't dance like like he if you notice he's mostly like he's either carrying young sanja like yeah. young 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 sanja yeah. like child sanja or he's like sitting and spinning on the yeah he chair. does like he's kind of yeah. cool but i mean like you're not really gonna see hansu like cutting a rug no either. no but he he said like in an interview that i read like he was very like embarrassed like shy and embarrassed during that oh that's funny because mozazu gets down and so does Solomon. solomon gets way down and then I mean, he's, um He's like a Broadway like actor though. Like he was in Hamilton, Jinha. Yeah. And then Sunja in all her iterations gets yes. down. So yes, I mean totally. yeah. But then I realized like, oh, there's so many characters who do and then I'm like, oh, it's they're really looking at just her family line. Yes. Um, you know, we're not having like Yosef. because I was like, oh, because I like I think Yosef's hot. <laughs> like he's a hard character, but I was All like, the men in this are very good looking. It's true. They it's are. True. I mean, like... There is nothing not fun to look at in this series. Very true. Okay. So, in a New Yorker interview with author Min Jin Lee, journalist Michael Luo claims that she starts her novels with a thesis statement. And so, here's a little snippet from the interview. And then, of course, I'll have a question. So, he asks her, your opening line in Pachinko, your thesis statement, is... History has failed us, but no matter. What did you mean by that? And this is her response. On a top level, I was arguing that the discipline of history, obviously, and history as a general rule, has failed poor people and people who don't have a voice. But even more so, I was asserting that it doesn't matter that the people in charge are knuckleheads because regular people, ordinary people, have resisted and survived and done a lot of the workarounds. It was specifically very important for me with the Koreans in Japan because I started out in the position of, oh, these are poor victims who've been oppressed by colonialism and how horrible. And that's all true, but they didn't see it that way. And they told me, you're wrong. And I was like, okay, well, how am I wrong? When you hang out with them, you realize they're quite, the word in Japanese is they're very genki. They're very sturdy and strong. So I thought, oh, well, where did this come from? And I realized it's kind of like what Hemingway says about being broken, right? You're stronger when you're broken. Hmm. So to close things out, do you think Min Jin Lee's vision of Pachinko, a story that embodies the idea that you are stronger when you're broken, is conveyed through the miniseries retelling? Well, I love that. And I think it's beautiful. And I've always liked that quote by Hemingway. Um I think my verdict is, is that we're getting there with the show, but, um, we're honestly not that deep into the plot and the meat of the book. And so I can't share huge spoilers, even in the spoiler section. I know, I know, because we don't want to spoil the book. Yeah, because, you know, if you haven't read it, I could be spoiling major plot points that are going to be in the show. So read the book and, you know, we can talk, uh, 
join our Patreon. We can talk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, and again, it goes back to mostly this um, connection with Noah and then her evolving um, story with Hansu over time, which again connects back into Noah. Yeah. But Sonja is that story of you are stronger as you're broken, but we just haven't really started to see her put through her trials yet, unfortunately. I know. I know. And I I am really looking forward to season two because I, I do like that we have confirmation that it's going to go back now and watch the brothers. I do like that it's going to go back now and watch the brothers growing up. And so I'm I'm interested to see how that all plays out. Um, but I do love that that interview snippet, and I do love the quote from Hemingway as well. And the book absolutely conveys that. The the series, I hope, will get there. So is there anything that we missed in our, our script for tonight that you want to get off your chest about Pachinko? Other than please read it? <laughs> yeah, I think definitely if you want to watch the show, you need to read the book. Um, because I don't know how much is going to be connected. Although four seasons too, it also surprises me four seasons. Um, yeah. Although, you know, when I think back, like we really only covered a couple of plot points. That's what I'm that, saying. Like, look yeah. at how, look at how little was, co- was, you know, covered so far. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I kind of feel like three would have got, like I would have ex- expected three with like 24 episodes. I'm not sure if we need 32 hour long episodes. I feel like 24 would get us there. So I'll wait to see. I feel as if it's a Mr. Sunshine length drama. And so we'll see if they're still going for the four episodes or if they or four seasons or if they feel like three is enough. All right. Well, that is it for today, everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Annyeong. Annyeong. Thank you for listening to Afternoon of Delight. Where can you find us outside the pod? Head on over to AfternoonAdelight.com. That's A-F-T-E-R-N-O-O-N-A-D-E-L-I-G-H-T dot com. You'll find links to all our social media, our book recs, K-pop and K-skincare recs, and if you want even more Afternoon of Delight, because really who doesn't, you can join our Patreon, where you can choose the patron level that's right for you. Join in daily K-drama conversations, listen to bonus podcast episodes just for patrons, and participate in our monthly live K-drama support group via Zoom. We can't wait for you to be a part of the community. Until next time, annyeong!